So just being in the fifth week of ordinary time, this is Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. A lot has been going on, of which most we don't know about, because the authors are only concerned about specific things for specific congregations that they're dealing with. If you go back a few weeks, you'll recall that Jesus is beginning in the territory to the north, Zebulon and Naphtali. This is the beginning of where the 12 tribes started to become dismantled by the Assyrians, taken over, conquered. So this is where he's going to begin to restore what was destroyed. And what he is restoring is the 12 tribes of Israel, not the hereditary tribes, because he has come to usher in a new covenant, which he himself is, no longer built on rules or regulations or law, but on an experience with him. And so we saw him go down from that northern part to the base of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, where he called the Twelve. There's the beginning of the new Twelve Tribes, which we'll call the Church. And it was a simple invitation, and this is how God operates. It's a simple invitation. So again, we can, we can theorize that lots of people could have been invited and said no, or perhaps some were invited, followed him for a day or two, and realized, this guy is whacked. I'm not following him anymore, and they went their own way. Or maybe they started to follow him, but persecution came in, and they quickly dismantled. We, we don't know these things, but I think we can be fair in saying that it probably happened because it's the same thing that goes on today, right? People start in the church for a few years, it gets old, and they move on to something new, something fresh. Or they're just pulled into the, the world because who wants to be an outcast? We all want to fit in. And so we can theorize, but we don't know. What we do know is that God gives an invitation and that the invitation is based on our free will, our free acceptance, and that, as we all know from lived experience, is very fragile because we still have the impulses of a broken nature in us that are constantly trying to bring us down, the path of least resistance, the notion of, as I said, fitting in, not, not sticking out, the fallen passions, the clouded intellect, all that goes with the fall is all part and parcel of whether we'll hang in there with this invitation or not. Last week, going from the bottom of the sea, he ascended to the mountain, the Mount of Beatitudes, where he begins the Sermon on the Mount, which we're hearing the, another part today. But that first part kind of laid the groundwork of what he is doing with this new 12 tribes. It's going to be a new way of thinking. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, St. Paul tells us. And Jesus gives us the framework with those eight Beatitudes of the, the change in our, our way of thinking. Not the way of the world thinks, but now it's different. So the first reading talked about doing acts of charity in order to be healed, in order for our wound to be healed. That's God's approach. The, the human inclination when we're wounded is what? To retreat, withdraw, and lick our wounds. A pity party. Feel sorry for ourselves. Ding, hello. 
Yeah, can you help me out? Oh, I can't. I'm wounded. Oh, okay, thanks. Hey, uh, I got this thing I, I, need, I need some help on. Oh, I'm wounded. I can't, you know, I'm just too wounded. I can't help. Okay, well, it was nice talking to you. I hope your wound gets healed. God's way is that you go out of yourself. The Adam and Eve approach is to hide, to feel sorry for herself, to coil. And God says, no, that, that is just going to increase the infestation of the wound. If you want to be healed, you go out of yourself because the sin is to go in, to be self-absorbed, self-consumed. But the healing comes when we start to forget ourselves and live for the other, when we're no longer an end into ourselves, but rather we are a vessel for something greater. Two vessels are given to us as examples this morning of how this works, salt and light. Salt and light don't exist for themselves. They exist for the other. Salt and light, both of them have a, a positive connotation to it and a negative. So the first one is salt. The positive, which we all know if we have had cured meat, it preserves, it protects. It keeps in. Back when we didn't have refrigerators, you pack it with salt. Salt pulls out what is already present. Now the question is, is what's present? Is it good or bad? And that's, that can be part of the positive or the negative, depending on what is within. As salt, you and I are called to preserve what is good in our community, what is good in our culture, what is good in our own family life. But we're also called to pull out that which is not good. It's the purgative type or aspect of salt. So think of people who go to the springs to bathe, right? What does it do? It's pulling out the toxins, a nice salt bath. I put Epsom salt on my fries last night, and someone said it's not good. That's not what it's for. It's to pull out or to relax, but it's not meant to consume. So... Salt can also kill us if we're not careful. And sometimes there's stuff in our culture that needs to be killed. And this isn't based on our thought and our uh, conjuring up. This is because we're disciples of Jesus. He's the one that is now setting the standard of how we are called to live. Our new way of thinking and acting and being. You are Salt, you are to preserve based on Christ what is good in our culture. You are called to purge, to pull out what is not good. You are light. You yourself are not the light, and the light doesn't exist for itself. The light exists so that things can be illuminated, so that we can see where we're going. Light reveals but again, the positive and the negative, right? Do we always want it to reveal? Let's face it, Jesus told us the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light. That's why we extinguished him in the crucifixion. How many people like to clean their homes in the dark? It's quicker, believe me, because you look around and see no dirt and you say, I'm done. 
And then you invite people over there, turn on the light, and you say, oh my, cobwebs, dust bunnies, turn the light back off. See how clean my house is? The church calls us to be illuminated first within ourselves, an examination of conscience. But how many of us prefer darkness? We don't want to see what's in there. We're afraid. We're filled with shame. But Jesus is telling us, turn on that light. Get out of the shadows. Its shadows is where the evil one resides. And then he enlightens only aspects of it, but not the fullness of it, just aspects. To tease and taunt, to point, and then to shame. Jesus comes to dispel the darkness, which is what you and I are called to do by virtue of our baptism. Remember that day, which we do here all the time when we have baptism, right? He takes the little candle, lights it from the Christ candle, hands it to the parents and godparents and says, this light is entrusted to you to be kept burning brightly because this child of yours has been enlightened by Christ. And he is to walk always as a child of the light. And then the brief little kind of prayer, may he keep the flame of, of life in his heart so that when the Lord Jesus comes again, he'll go out to meet him with all the saints in the heavenly kingdom. The fragility of faith, at any moment you and I could lose it. The world is dark and the world is trying to extinguish what you and I have been entrusted with. If we are not careful, it can be extinguished. Or rather, we'll be like a light under a bushel basket, which Jesus says is useless. Or salt thrown under no good except to be trodden on underfoot. Or in the winter in Michigan. We're called to reflect on what we're doing personally. We can't, we can't change structures outside. Structures change because the individuals in the structures change. You and I change. The first reading, all of those corporal and spiritual works of mercy, we can't go and there's no magic wand that we just pull a lever and all the systems change. But you and I can change ourselves. With our response to Jesus, come follow me, and we say yes, where are we following you to? A change of your attitude, a change of your thinking, a change of your behavior. Why? So that you'll be healed and the Father will be glorified. That's it. When you and I are glorifying the Father, we will be healed. When we are caring for each other, looking out for each other, preserving and purging, the Father will be glorified, we will be healed. You can see what, how this will come at a cost. Our culture doesn't want to hear what we have to say. You and I, by virtue of baptism, our eyes have been opened it doesn't mean we're better than other people. It means we've been entrusted with a very tender gift. But that gift comes at a cost. It's not just to be selfishly stored up. We go to our home and keep our little Jesus with us. It's meant to be given away. Again, in giving it away, we find ourselves healed, and the Father is then glorified. This is the work of the Christian, the work of the disciple. You don't have to do it. 
That's the beauty of our God. This free will. Will you follow me? How far will you go? As we meditated on last week, James and John left not only their livelihood, but they left their family. They left their father. They left everything. How far are we willing to go? You are salt and light, not necessarily by anything you've done. As our opening prayer said, Lord, it's the hope of your grace to protect us. That's our prayer. So as we go through the week, let's reflect. How are we salt? How are we light? Are we protecting? Are we purging? Are we revealing or are we hidden? Let's ask for the grace that we need to become the salt and the light that Jesus has called us to.